0: This podcast is brought to you by Sipla Foundation and Score Foundation. I weigh.
1: Hi, my name is George Abraham, and welcome to IWay Conversations. My guest today is Sabria Temberkan, a visionary, a pioneer, a leader, and a go-getter. So Sabria, I was reading about you, and um, it was interesting to note that uh, very early in life, um, while you were probably in your university, you got interested in Central Asia, Mongolian Chinese and Tibetan as languages alongside your uh, uh, your education in sociology and uh, philosophy. Yeah. So uh, how did you get interested in Central Asia?
2: I think my first interest was more in, in adventure. I wanted to have a very adventurous life and I wanted to travel and I wanted to write about it. And um, yeah, and then I, I thought, so what, what could I do? And um I also thought of going into development work and to maybe ask the Red Cross to volunteer. And, of course, they didn't want to have any blind people because they felt it was a risk factor. And just by chance, I went into an exhibition on Tibet. And the people from this exhibition in Germany, they were really, really nice. And they opened all the vitrines and the the glass cupboards and they gave me all these beautiful items in my hand um, uh, and they explained everything and yeah that was the point where I thought well if this is something I could study I could go there I could learn the language I could travel through to that and I could maybe do something meaningful in Tibet and that's how I became First of all, interested in Tibet. Later, after high school, I decided to go for Central Asian studies and um, and that was uh, Tibet, Mongolia, and then later also a little bit of Chinese.
1: When you decided to take up this discipline, um, you had problems with uh, communicating in the language and uh, especially as a blind lady. Uh, studying Tibetan, you had a problem and you had a solution. So what was that?
2: I needed to read, right? Uh, I needed to le- read books in Tibetan. To be able to read faster and also to be able to write something down, I needed to create something new. And that that was when, when I started to think of this Braille system. So that was a very easy thing to do. I mean, I knew Braille and I knew the Tibetan system and I just had to combine one with the other. And um, yeah, in, in one or two weeks, I I got it done in such a way that it was one-to-one translatable. That's not so easy because even for sighted people to translate Tibetan into uh, the, the Latin script, um, they need a lot of rules. But for Braille, it was actually quite easy because I created some signs um, that are standing before the main consonant and standing after the main consonant, it goes a little bit there. I mean, I, I should not go into details. Uh, for, for people who know the Tibetan script, they can actually learn the braille script very, very easily because it's so, so much linked or so connected to the actual um, script uh, so that it's very, very logical. And I wanted to do it in such a way because I thought one day, we will be able to translate from the computer into Tibetan uh, into Tibetan Braille, and um, and therefore I needed a very logical, easy to transcribe script. And uh, yeah, and later of course we had programs where we just used FDS and JKL uh, to type in Tibetan into a computer, and on the screen it showed in black print in Tibetan black print. And on the printer, it came out in Tibetan
1: Braille. After all this action at Bonn in the university, you decided to actually go to Tibet. And yes. I think you've, you've also written a book, which talks about your journey to Tibet and your exploits in Tibet. Uh,
2: I went first to Beijing, and then um, I went to uh, Sichuan. And um, hmm, from Sichuan, I wanted to go by horseback. Because I love horses, I, I'm, uh, from early childhood uh, onwards, I'm a horseback rider. And I thought, because everybody is riding with horses in this area, so why, why shouldn't I? Uh, I even bought horses, but that was um, not a very successful thing to do, because then people, uh, the officials, they, uh, they said that the foreigners are not allowed in this area. Because there are lots of band aids and there are lots of um, uh, dangerous roads and uh, uh, land landslides and so on and so forth, so I had to sell my horses or give them back, and uh, yeah, and then I went just by flight from um, from uh, Sichuan to um, to Tibet to uh, Lhasa, and yeah, and then in Lhasa I met a lot of people interested people who felt that this was a good idea to do to travel through tibet and to look for blind people i actually see this is this is something the the first idea was or the first interest was adventure only later i thought just adventure is a bit little right and i wanted to do something meaningful and then i thought hey why because i had this prayer system already why not trying to find out whether there is such a system and um, if there is no such system, why not uh, thinking of a school for the blind? And that's what, what I decided to do. So I t- decided to travel through Tibet on horseback um, and find blind children and convince parents. If you know of anyone with
0: vision impairment who needs guidance on living life with blindness, Please share the Iway National Toll Free Helpline number one eight zero zero five three two zero four six nine. The number is one eight zero zero five three two zero four six nine.
1: So, uh, uh, when you met the blind parents and the children and so on. I believe that it all ultimately resulted in a school, probably the first school for the blind in that region. Yes. What's the story there? How did you actually find the resources? Uh, How did you get local permissions? Because I'm sure there would be resistance from the bureaucracy and so on.
2: Yeah, and the interesting part was they asked me questions like, why you? Yeah. Now, why... Why did I trust myself? I didn't even finish my um, studies yet. I couldn't just say, okay, I'm a Tibetologist because I was still uh, one year before doing my my uh, final examination.
1: You were a work in uh, progress.
2: Yes, exactly. And, uh, and I was not even sure whether I wanted to finish it because for me going to Tibet and doing something was much, much more interesting. So um, the question, why you? was a very important one. And the only thing that came to my mind at this point, and I think that saved everything, was, well, I became blind at the age of 12. I learned to be confident with it. I learned to embrace it. Uh, I learned to take my own life in my own hands. And this is exactly what I wanted to give to blind children here in Tibet as well. Now, they didn't have Anything to counter. And they gave me all the papers that I needed with all these beautiful Chinese red stamps. Because um, I said, well, the first thing that I have to do is raising funds. And for that, I need papers. I need the permission to come back. Before I went to Germany and uh, Europe to do fundraising for this whole school idea, I met someone who became very, very important in my life. I mean, I met A lot of people, I met a lot of NGOs, and most of the people that I met, they were thinking I'm talking nonsense when I told them that I wanted to start the first school for the blind in Tibet. And uh, yeah, and one person was there who was a backpacker. Um, He came from Holland, he's an engineer, and uh, he yeah, he had um, he had interest in in um, helping NGOs um, in their technical uh, obstacles. And um, this was Paul, and Paul is became my partner. And that was a very, very important part, um, or important point in my life, because I think, without Paul, um, I would have never, ever gone through so much difficulties so, so many challenges and it's not because he's sighted that's that's always the the wrong perspe- uh, perception of people right he's not my guide dog he's not my eyes um we are very complimentary but we have different kind of interests and different kind of talents
1: so you were lucky to run into paul at a backpackers lodge in lhasa great yes and then the school in tibet was uh, established and uh, You chose or you moved to Kerala, God's own country. Yes. So what's the story there?
2: Yes. Um, First of all, I have to go one step backwards. Um, In Tibet, uh, it was already in 2002 or 2003 when we thought um, we will not be forever here in tibet despite the fact that we had started um, not only a school we also started a farm on four thousand um, meters altitude um, ecological farm which was run by blind people with a cheese factory and a, and a bakery and all kinds of professions that blind people never did before um, uh, we also di- discovered or detected several blind students of ours who had the ability to run all these places um, and we felt Uh, we needed to go on, we needed to do something. So, um, But very, very often we also asked ourselves what, because we went through so much struggle and so many obstacles uh, in our lives that we felt we would have needed some kind of coaching. So luckily we were two of us and we were both stubborn enough and maybe also naive enough to just do, right? Right. We, we, we made a lot of mistakes and we ran into a lot of pitfalls, but also we did some things well. And um, I, I just want to come to the points that we uh, that I feel we did well. I think we are good communicators. Um, we are um, not shy. We can talk in front of big, big crowds and we can talk to um, just one person, just like what I'm doing right now for you, right? right. Um, Uh, we uh, this is this is something that is very very important the other thing that is very important that was very important i do feel that we are reliable Uh, when we say something we do it or we communicate that for whatever reason we cannot do it beforehand so people were uh, counting on us and people could count on us and this is something that is not everywhere the case right Mm. um and then of course we believed in our dreams and we go, went step by step. And we also were not afraid of failures. And this is also very, very important in, especially now being in India and uh, looking at the, the school system here, um, people are very much trained for success stories, not for failures. Um, nobody learns how to fail gracefully and to stand up gracefully and to learn from their failures. And I think Paul and I, we were lucky enough to, Um, to not be afraid of failures and to just try it out and to risk something. So now we thought, what if we had gone to a kind of a center, a school, a training center beforehand that gave us the tools and the methodologies to at least start? Of course, everyone goes through their own obstacles. But what if we could have um, had a coach, somebody who could have facilitated somebody who could have given us the the strength and the courage to further believe also in crisis situation, what if we had an ear. um, uh, To listen to us in crisis situation or a shoulder to cry on um, who knows what it means to start and run a social venture. And that's why we came to the idea to start. Kantari and Kantari is a training center for social visionaries for people who have a vision um, and people who have gone through difficulties in their life but have survived these difficulties who are resilient enough to survive and uh, people who are uh, interested to turn all these mistakes they made or the failures they had or the challenges they had the adversity they overcame into something beautiful, into something that helps the society to thrive um, uh, in a social way or in an environmental way. So we started to look for a place somewhere central in this world so we knew tibet would not be the place where people could easily go to and it's <clears throat> of course also um geographically it's not so easy to live there it's very cold in the winter and it's very hot in the summer. so uh, we thought of some someplace central in the world and what is more central than kerala of course, you are in North India, but you are a Keralaite, right? <clears throat> right? And uh, and you might might uh, be able to empathize with our ideas. So our idea was, if you look at Kerala, if you look at the south, the southern tip of India, and you draw a circle, and you make the circle just big enough, um, and bigger and bigger and bigger, you have Africa in there, you have whole Asia in there, and these these are the places maybe. Yeah, South America is a little bit outside, I'm sorry for that, but um, these are the places where there is is a lot of social social change and a lot of environmental change needed, but where there are these resilient people who have to take their own projects in their own hands. We were not for people going somewhere, um, for development workers going somewhere, not having any idea what they are doing and just... um, Uh, just just changing the people or changing uh, things Um, we wanted to get the the changes the solutions the interventions the ideas out of the countries and or, or from the from the people in the countries themselves in the problem zones themselves and we wanted to just give them the tools and the methodologies how to put their ideas and their solutions into reality now kerala is really a little bit of a paradise. Um, and we thought this is the right place to create social change makers that are making changes from within, and we called it cantari. And now, you of course, you are a keralite you know what cantari is, right? A Kantari is a very, very small but very spicy chili that grows wild in the backyards of Kerala, and it is. Um, it is not only spicy it's also medicinal so in the ayurvedic um, medicine it has a lot of meaning and yeah this this cantari we see as a beautiful symbol for somebody who has fire in the belly who has the guts and the the um, the braveness to do something to not only talk um, but to actually be useful for the world to contribute to the world. Most of our Kantaris, by the way, we had already 242 Kantaris from 50 different countries here, social change makers, who are um, uh, uh, 60 to 70 percent of those are running their own social or environmental projects now. And most of them have limitations in one way or the other. They are either disabled or are discriminated because of their skin color, or are women in a very patriarchal, and a very violent society, or are street children where street children are not worth anything, or are in war countries, um, or are uh, have been uh, child soldiers, or have been kidnapped um, by, by terrorists. So most of them have gone through really difficulties in life. And all of them who are successful in running their social and environmental projects are actually valuing or cherishing or are grateful for what really? happened to them. And this is, this is very, very important. For me, it's a, b- a very important lesson.
0: To support our work with the blind and visually impaired, you can visit the donate page on our website, www. Score Foundation. ORG. In. Please note www.
1: In. fact, uh, I just wanted to ask you uh, you know, you come from Germany, and at the age of 12, you had retinitis pigmentosa. I think we in India would love to know. How did your family and friends respond to you? And what was the kind of support systems and learning opportunities that you got when you lost your sight?
2: Yes. Um, Well, I have to say I had remarkable parents or I have remarkable parents, they're still alive. Um, And why I say this, they didn't do much. They were just not um, overprotective they didn't control or they didn't feel that they had to control my life or control that nothing bad happens to me they always had the courage or they gave me the courage that i had the strength to pull myself out of the mess of course they saw that the process of becoming blind was not an easy one for me it uh, took me three years to Mm, to get over it. Three years of really being not happy, hating the way I was, hating my people around me, um, uh, hating the condition I was in, and not being actually at all satisfied with what happened to me. Um, That was also because I was very isolated. Before I had a lot of friends, and suddenly I didn't have any friends anymore. So it was not an easy time at all. Um, And my parents were not taking it away from me they said you have to go through this but it will make you stronger eventually and they were right now why do my why are my parents different than many other parents also many other parents in Germany it's not only India right it's not they are not typical German parents they are actually artists my father is a musician my mother is a theater director and um and my brother is, a, is an artist, too. And for artists, I think they always think in solutions. Um, even out of the most gross situation, they can make something beautiful, right? And they can make something very, very, uh, um, very cherishable. Now, uh, yeah, and, and they even thought, well, we don't know what it means to be blind. Uh, what can we judge? How can we judge? How can we just tell her this is a miserable life? No, we cannot. And I was also lucky to to be able to go, after I became blind, I, I decided to go to a school for the blind. And in the meantime, I saw a lot of schools all around the world that are made for the blind. And I still must say that this school where I went is one of the very, very best. And I feel I would love to have a school like that in India for blind children that empowers the blind so much, um, that is not looking at the limitations, but is actually looking at the possibilities. Um, We had a lot of sports. We had teachers who were very, very passionate. They were were not necessarily special pedagogues. They were very passionate uh, teachers who were sportive by themselves, they were, um, they were skiers and whitewater kayakers. And they said, well, if we can ski um, with sight, why not trying it out um, being blind? So they created their own methodologies and their own technologies to, um, to be able to um, go in a whitewater kayak when you are blind, um, or downhill skiing once you are blind, or acrobatic on a horse. Once you're blind. Of course, riding a horse is easy because the horse can see, but to do acrobatics, to jump on a running horse, that was something else. And they created these methodologies for us. I would wish that we in India had such a school where children um, are not taken out of math classes after eighth grade, which is happening here, unfortunately, where children can do math, where children can do um, science in a very high quality way, where children learn climbing trees, um, cutting their own coconuts, uh, surviving in the jungle. Um, and whether they are blind or not, have a wonderful and adventurous life, um, which is not controlled by parents who are over ambitious and over uh, protective. So it is actually possible. And I would wish that we in India, where we have so many blind people, where we have the highest number of blind people in the world, have a new attitude towards blindness, um, have an attitude of, we can do it. We can not only just compensate, but we can actually see the possibilities in blindness and the opportunities in blindness. And that would be so fantastic. So maybe there's somebody out there who would like to run the school or who would uh, like to talk to me um, about starting such a school, which should be a model school, maybe even an international school where people from other countries, from Europe, from America, could come to study as well.
1: Uh, Sabria, thank you so very much for giving us the time, and uh, thank you, and, and uh, wish you the very best in uh, pursuing these dreams. Take
2: care.
0: Yes, thank you. <laughs> This podcast was brought to you by SIPLA Foundation and SCORE Foundation.